Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Clockwork Chronicles, an insider's guide to Clockwork Watch, an interactive and participatory story that I created. My name is Yomi Ayeni. Now, Clockwork Watch is a story told through comic books, immersive theatre and role play, as well as a few other mediums that we will touch on as, as the story gradually unfolds. This podcast is to explain the history of Clockwork Watch, connect with contributors and touch base with people who have helped to shape the story. Now, while my original idea helped to guide contributors, the actual creation of the look beyond the words that were crafted are all down to my next guest. She took the scripted narrative and made it real, not just in comic form, but many of her illustrations have set the scene for immersive live events, role players, and more or less the whole world. Jenny, Jenny Gilblad, welcome to the Clockwork Chronicles. Oh, hello. Wow, that was quite the intro. <laughs> hello. Uh, hello. Thank you so much for having me on. This is uh it's quite something, isn't it? <laughs> it? It is. It is. It's more or less a case of reminiscing and and tapping into the fears, uh, worries, inspiration, <laughs> and the creativity that has crafted, you know, what uh, what we've done. And just so people know, Jenny and I have worked on this project for this part of ten to eleven years. And as That's I mentioned, crazy. yes, it is. <laughs> And and as I mentioned, a lot of, if not all, the look and the feel of the book, the live events and the story and things that have inspired other people to get involved in the narrative are the result of Jenny's creativity and her genius artwork. Oh my God, thank you. <laughs> so so um, Jenny's up in Leeds. How's Leeds? How's it going up there? Um, well, it's currently very, very cold, and I'm trying not to die when I go outside because it's really <laughs> slippy. But other than that, it's uh, it's very good. Um, you you did ruin me with one thing in Leeds, though, which we will have to go into <laughs> later on. Yes, <laughs> um, I'm not sure if you know what I'm referencing. Yes, but... yes I do. Yes, I do. Was that, was that to do with the smoke shack or smoke stack? Yeah, yes, yeah. it is. So, yeah, we, we, will, we will touch on that later on. But other than that, Leeds is lovely. And um, I wasn't intending on living here. I was actually going to move up to Scotland. Whoa. But I, 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 yeah, I know. But I moved here to be with my now husband. And I was like, this is literally the best city in the world. So I just decided to stay. <laughs> so it's great. Beautiful. And and uh, myself, as well as Corey and thousands of um, other comic book creators and enthusiasts and readers all make a pilgrimage to Leeds every year. Well, now Harrogate, so to speak. Yeah, um, they moved out. Yes, yeah, for Thought they got Bubble. so big. Yeah, which is yes, the, the, exactly. the UK's biggest indie comic convention to date. Yeah. Now. Oh, my God. Yeah, go on. <laughs> so... How did you first hear about Clockwork Watch and what were your first impressions of, of the story itself? Uh, I, I graduated uh, 2010 and uh, I was down in Bristol at the time and then I moved over to Bath and um, I kind of graduated from illustration because a comics degree didn't actually you know, exist at that time and I, um, I started trying to kind of get work and I think it was like at about 2011 or so so just a year yep. after graduating yep. 
that I, uh, I think I met Corey at a convention. This is such a long time ago that I'm trying to remember. But like, no, no, actually what happened was that I was going as like a fresh face graduate into a, a comic convention in Bristol with my uh, portfolio. And uh, there was a person who was repping a, um, a publisher that I can't remember the name of, Insomnia. Yep, yep, Insomnia yep. Publications, yeah. And they were like, oh, wow, I love your work. Um, we we can, like, pair you up with a writer. And I was like, oh, my God, yes, please. Because I was like, oh, my God, someone actually likes my stuff. What is this? What's happening? And uh, they were like, okay, so I know someone called Corey Brotherson. Um, and I think that you two would be a great fit. So I was like, okay, let's let's do it. So they introduced me to Corey. And I immediately just kind of, we just kind of hit it off. Like we just uh, seem to like really enjoy the same kind of stories and stuff. And uh, he seemed to really love my work. And again, as someone who was so new, like I wasn't sure whether people would enjoy my stuff because I paint everything traditionally. That's so, a good thing. Yeah. But like at the, at the time when I was at uni, it was kind of, you know, traditional was kind of going out and digital was becoming a thing. So it was like, if you're doing traditional, you better be good because no one's going to want to hire you. And I was just like, oh, shit, <laughs> I'm doomed. <laughs> no one wants me. Um, but yeah, so I um, I got to hang out with Corey. I think we started a project together, Butterfly and Moths. I believe he yep. probably mentioned that. Yeah. Yes, he did. And uh, without going into too much drama around that, um, that didn't happen because of shenanigans with the publisher and there was a lot of that around uh, at the time <laughs> oh there's a lot there's so there's so much tea in the indie publishing industry whole oh, oh. uh but yeah anyway trying to stay on track so basically <laughs> at that point um i i can't remember if did he, if he introduced me to clockwork watch or how it went but i think that was when yeah i think he introduced me uh to to the whole project and at that point again because i hadn't really done any big graphic novels or anything at that point i was like the only thing i'd done was uh another anthology thing and uh some like personal doodle comics and stuff so i was very fresh-faced and honestly i find it quite amazing that you guys just kind of went yeah well Let's do it. Let's just try this thing, and I'm just there going, "Are you sure?" Let's okay. I mean, so uh, I mean, not not forgetting, it was a first for quite a lot of us at the time. It was very much. I feel like we all kind of were trying things out and seeing like what would work and how to like structure it and stuff. Because like, and especially with anything to do with like, I think you guys talked about crowdfunding as well. Yep. Which we, I'm sure, we can talk about in a bit, but like all of that as well there was a lot of stress around that mm. but um mm. but yeah like when we it was this was in what 2011 yes it was 2010 when... 2010 because it, it yeah i mean i was talking to when the last uh the, in the last episode in episode three talking to Corey because mm. we published in 2012 we kind of worked out mm. owing to the fact that it took a time to write, time to illustrate, time to do all <laughs> the stuff. You know, it's. It, I don't think, and the fact that we'd not done this before, I don't think mm-hmm. it would have been a, a, a 10-month gig. I think it probably would have taken a little bit longer. 
Well, yeah. Well, the th- the thing is as well, like the the final script for the first book, The Arrival. Or how many pages was that? It was like forty or fifty pages. I can't yeah. remember exactly. Yeah. And it's all fully fully painted pages, uh, traditionally painted. Uh, and then I I think yeah I lettered everything as well. We're, we're and gonna, I did the. We're going to get round to the lettering. There's something crucial that I'd like to to explore with lettering. So go, go yeah on. yeah sure. But yeah, um, just like all of these things that we were squishing into this thing, like, uh, you know, the lettering and the design elements of the book. And um, like, I hadn't done anything like that before. You hadn't done anything like that before, as far as I know. And I'm not, I think Corey was probably the most experienced person. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. In the team, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Had you, had you done any, I mean, at that point, had you any experience of this thing called steampunk? So, yeah, I've always, like, really loved the, like, aesthetic of it. So, obviously, like, video games and stuff like that. And also, I don't know if you would consider, like, Final Fantasy VII steampunk, but it does have, like, vibes of it. Yeah, Bioshock did did quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, Bioshock. And also, because I'm very, very into, um, like, a lot of sort of fashion things, so I had this this uh this era of like being super into like the look and feel of steampunk so i i think i was still at uni when i was doing like little short stories that had all about that they were like set in a steampunk world but they were just like um i was more focused on actually drawing like the looks of the characters if that makes sense so i i had like prints and things that i was uh selling at conventions Mm. but that was that was kind of it but yeah i was very enthusiastic, shall we say, Absolutely. about it. I mean, you, I mean, you mentioned the script. I can. We tried as much as possible to make the script as illustrative as possible, and yeah, we hoped that whatever was written or whatever was sent to you was there to help guide the thought process into what mm. was created. How did that work for you? Well, I was very happy because, like, when I got the script. Like every every person who's every comic book writer will write things differently, um, but the way I have found with time is that uh, I respond best to when the descriptions are quite brief. Like I think it's um, Alan Moore or someone else who does like really long, long, super long descriptions, mm-hmm. and uh, for me that would have probably felt a little bit too much. So like I really enjoyed the fact that it was kind of allowing me to flex my my new muscles <laughs> so yeah I really I really enjoyed it um and especially the whole sort of the idea behind having the arrival of like an affluent um, Sikh family and then being able to design the look of that and like things like the airship and the clothing of them and all of that it was just it was a lot. I felt like I had a lot of freedom with that. Mm. Um, I don't know how, like, because it, again, it was such a long time ago. But so if, if I'm like saying stuff that's wrong, like um, I might have forgotten. But like, no, I no. I do feel like I did have a lot of freedom. Well, that, to do that. I don't. Feel, that, I mean that that's sorry. that's one of the key things, Jenny, because the freedom was not just there, but it was given in the sense that mm. we were creating something. We'd written something. That you know, I had in my mind. Corey helped to finesse and and added and embellished and and contributed, but we still didn't know how it would look. 
and what you did was you you looked at traditional steampunk which is very dark and grim and you know and and uh, and it's 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 gray and and yeah. and we looked at uh, an an indian sikh family and uh, in a, coming from a country that is hot coming from a country that is very used to flamboyance to beautiful colors to a lot of mm-hmm. depth to gold and all the other things and is a juxtaposition of those two things and you brought a lot of that to to the table i loved the sikh ships the airships yeah oh my god that was so much fun um just getting to kind of dive into stuff like designing like saris and uh checking out like different types of shawlies i think they're called so they're like the the piece that you have on the top um and like all of the different things that you have to think about when someone is sick so um i'm just checking my book so (laughs) basically they have like (laughs) i need to like refresh my memory uh, so they had like uh, the um, the dagger, yep, they had the, dagger. Uh, the the kirpan, I think. Yep. Am I saying that right? I yep. hope. Um, and things like that, and like designing that and making that like a bit steampunky, um, and also yeah, the colors, like you said, and the layers, because I've always been su- super obsessed with layering, and I think this is one of the reasons why I just wanted to keep doing stuff traditionally because I love physically layering colors and collage and stuff onto like a physical piece of paper and being allowed to like do that and i feel so natural with like the steampunky like victorian vibes Mm. to have something that is so textured and just mm, i just loved it and yeah like you said just not having it be um the standard dark uh, steampunk and actually putting some color into the thing yeah. Uh, it was so much fun. <laughs> I mean, do you have a copy of the arrival with you there right now? Yes, I do. Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. You remember the page? It's a page with Janav where it's a whole page um, with his eyes popping. And you've got the color gradient of color from the top all the way to the bottom. Uh, and for me, I think that is probably one of the most beautiful pages in a comic book that I've ever seen. Wait, the cut where his eyes are popping. It's just after he was, I think it's either after he woke up. You know, because he fell asleep in the carriage and then they go and going along and there's a scene where there's page where it's kind of like dark, but he's got his eyes. Mm. And I, Oh, when he's dreaming and he's yes, waking up. Yes, when he's dreaming and waking up. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. This is so weird. Like, because I haven't looked at this in so long. It's beautiful. Oh, my God. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's, oh, it's, the it's, way it's, you allowed me to do the paneling like that. <laughs> it's it's a testament to the fact that being 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 able to work with with an artist and hmm. and to leave a lot of stuff and to, to the artist to give the artist the freedom to interpret what you are thinking or what you've written, then hmm. you get you get amazingness like that. Yeah, I mean, the the I think my favorite. I mean, my favorite thing is obviously uh, the cover which is yep. probably because the the ele- the actual title design was done by Fabio mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, Fabio's title design is just oh, amazing and uh, um, I mean, yeah I just just to introduce Fabio Fabio Duarte Martins uh, has done all the titles for for clockwork and he is based in Portugal and he's a professor of of lettering and stuff like that and we'll be talking to we'll be talking about Fabio a bit later on but yes just introducing who Fabio is yeah, so the way he um, did the lettering 
and they was put onto the cover and then you had my artwork and like the design sort of around that and the um the swords and all of that stuff it was just oh yeah I love that but like the main the main thing that I in terms of like a comic page that I really enjoyed is kind of either the um when they're by the oh what's it called again it's not the crystal palace what's it called um that, well, <laughs> that, that, well yeah there was we, we do reference the crystal palace in that is, but then is that, is that the one is it is, are you talking about the big double page the big double page where um um Irvin is introduced or is yes. it that that one? Now we're going to get round to that. That is. That, <laughs> I'm jumping ahead so that, much. No, 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 no. Because my next question, my next question, mm. was with all the aesthetic and the amazingness that you you have mentioned that you've referenced, that is just core to human beings and steampunk and the aesthetic. But then, one of the core elements of Clockwork Watch is automatons clockwork servants how did you construct Irvin how did you because you not only placed him you placed Irvin in to um a space that actually still does exist in Horniman um Horniman Gardens in London is this amazing Victorian sort of uh looking greenhouse and it's it's an amazing Mm. construction um so we used that as a backdrop but then you filled it with people and then you created this automaton, bare bones automaton, which was one of the best things, best ways rather, of introducing that aspect into the story. You didn't make fully clothed. No, it was bare bones. And over mm-hmm. time, as the story is told, the character, the clothing, the nature, the technology gradually changes over the past 11 years now. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, yeah, so basically... When I was doing it, um, I wanted to, yeah, like you said, to keep it like really bare bones. But at the same time, I wanted to at least have like a kind of like an expressive face because mm. I, I don't want them to have like a completely like dead face because you, you need to be able to, uh, to feel some empathy um, with, with Irvin. And um, yeah, so I, I wanted to make sure that we had, as silly as it sounds, I wanted the eyebrows in there. Because when you're doing any kind of expressions, at least I find this, yeah. um, having eyebrows is just brilliant. Um, I also wanted to make sure that we had like nice, nice looking eyes and like the, the kind of glowing heart as well was just, um, it was just like a centerpiece, I think. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, it was just keeping it quite, like, I, I don't know, but for me, he doesn't feel creepy. No. Like I know he's like he, I know he's naked <laughs> and and all that stuff, but like he doesn't feel creepy to me. Like he feels kind of warm. He's um, innocent. There's an innocence there. Yeah, yeah. So like I wanted I wanted that, but at the same time, I'm not covering up the fact that his entire back head mm. is just a bunch of like tubes and cogs and all yeah. that kind of shit. So it's just like, oh look, he's kind of cute. Oh wait, hold on a second, <laughs> what's going yeah. on back there? I mean, so, what, yeah. what, what did actually creating that, that, that image in itself mean to you? Because we didn't know what you were going to come up with. Well, like, at the time, I mean, I was, I was struggling a little bit because I was just like, I'm not entirely sure how to make, like, an automaton that, um, first of all, it needs to feel steampunky. Mm. Um, but I don't want it to be 
too over the top with like like steam coming out of all the orifices and just going absolutely crazy. Um, I I don't want it to be too much. I want it to be like a focus on the humanity. Um, so it was it was really I can't remember exactly how like I got through it in the end, but like I did kind of I think I did kind of struggle a little bit because like trying to make um, like an automaton that um, then makes itself like you know that you actually are going to have some feelings for mm-hmm. it's just like it's quite a challenge for me yeah. I think that's why I actually putting in making sure that the face was as expressive as I could uh, as I could make it was like quite important I know it doesn't make much sense if you're thinking completely logically that like uh, maybe the eyebrows shouldn't be moving as much as they are um but like I feel like I wanted that to be in there because I wanted it to feel like you are looking at a person Mm. um and I wanted to be able to like almost have him smile even though again it doesn't really make sense because he doesn't have the muscles to smile he doesn't have muscles (laughs) so yeah it, it was very difficult I mean, but that, I hope I, I did it justice. No, you did. Definitely, definitely. But also, also, um, the we had an event in London, goodness, well, like eight years ago, seven, eight years ago now, um, in oh Islington at Angel, where we mm. worked in Electroworks. So that was the year that, you remember the year that we all sat on a tank? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we all sat on a tank. A full oh, armoured tank. I need to tank. find that photo. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and that year was the first time that immersive event was the first time that i saw people even though they were actors they borrowed mm. a lot of your styling to create their own respective clockworks i don't know whether yeah. you saw that i i honestly i can't remember because the entire event was just such a blur um it was it was quite amazing to to see oh was it forbisher Yes. Who had like, yeah, and I could literally see some of the, oh, it's coming back to me now. Oh, no. I could literally see some of the uh, the outfit, like, mm. elements that I had in the in the comic, in the actual character. And I was just like, oh, what is happening? What is going on? My 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 young, like, brain just going, oh, God, <laughs> this is scary, but also so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was beautiful because I, I, mm. I saw... Uh, something similar to that uh, at Comic-Con in San Diego. Um, there's a, a friend of mine, Claire Hummond, and she did some Bioshock stuff. She's one of these creators, mm. Claire Hummel. And Claire was freaking out one day when she saw someone cosplaying a character that she had created for the game. You know, <gasps> and it, so, it's, so it does happen. You know, it's one of those crazy things that is your thoughts and your creativity leaps from your mind to whatever you've created, and then someone just manifests in in front of you. Yeah, you just can't really believe it when it's happening because I I think um, a lot of the time um, people don't really realize because when you see comic creators, they tend to be at comic cons and they're all at least I am quite loud and all that stuff. But when we're not there. Um, at least in my case, you don't really leave the house. You kind of sit at home and work all the time. So you don't really get the chance to um, see what other people are doing or anything like that. You get quite, um, like, you you become kind of like a hermit. Mm. So going from sitting on your own, doing all of this work, and then coming into um, either a Comic-Con or into an actual live event of a 
like a world that you've he- you've helped to design um, and seeing things, you just you kind of get overloaded with all of the the amazingness. To be honest, absolutely. Like, um, <laughs> absolutely. I've, I've actually been looking at some old photos before before this call, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, we did. We did amazing stuff. And talking about the 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 whole automaton part and Irving. Irving was for the people following. Irving was the first clockwork that we created within the world. And when we introduced Irving, Irving Irving had only just met an eight-year-old boy called Janav, who had just come over from India with his parents, and he was being introduced, or they they were being introduced in a way in which the father knew his son didn't have any friends over here in the UK, in London, and mm. paired him, more or less paired him um, with this automaton. And the automaton was more or less the guardian to a certain degree, but we weren't quite sure how that dynamic was going to turn out at that at that precise point. And then to make things a little bit more interesting, Jenny went ahead and created a special thought bubble or speech bubble for the automaton. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I felt like it needed to to just be a little bit different, so that you could tell like that um, there were autonomous. Uh, I can't say it anymore. Automatons. <laughs> <Speaking>. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Speaking. Um, so yeah, I, again, um, and I I was I was very new in comics, and I believe this was one of my first uh, among my first like comic gigs. Um, as like a professional, essentially. And um, you uh, basically allowed me to do all the lecturing. Mm. And um, at that point, which was, I which was, was a good like, thing. Otherwise, you wouldn't have hit that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, um, I'm glad that that's something that seems to be sticking as well, because that, that's, I, I really like that. So um, in case people are wondering, it's like um, little cogs that are kind of coming out of the of the bubble. So it just signifies that the person speaking might not be completely human yep yep because you know later on maybe not to spoil things but later mm. on maybe you can't actually tell yep. who's on the promise anymore because you know mm, and you gave for them green, reason you, and you gave them green eyes yes oh yes like i said yeah with the eyes like i do i'm quite obsessed with trying to get like expressive eyes and i never feel like i could quite get it but like I, that's something i'm always working on with my comics so yeah, getting the green eyes that goes kind of with the green heart. Um, yeah, I really, I really enjoy that. And th- this was just the start of, of as I mentioned, a, a a relationship and a working relationship that spanned ten years. And over time, you've not only helped to develop the story, but you've also adapted because the first three books are told from the perspective of the Chan, or the Rambir family. And the Rambir family is the family who arrive from India. Then the second, no, the second um, chapter of this, which is the next three books, are told from the perspective of the automaton. And this is, for me, one of the best parts of the narrative, how the narrative has unfolded. Because you had a lot of the bright colours associated with the Indian family. But then you changed when we started to tell the story from Irvin, the automaton's perspective. And that was just beautiful. It was very dreamy. Yeah, so um, I'm trying to find the books because I believe... <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I'm looking. I'm, I'm, um, it's like, we've done so many books, it's crazy. 
yeah, so when we went over to that that section, that is going into more of the, the TikTok, right? Yep, that is a TikTok. That um, is, the TikTok. The, the book, the, that particular chapter in itself is called TikTok IPA. Um, and the whole idea of clocks and TikToking and clockwork automatons. So that's how it actually got its name. Yeah, so at that point, I believe that, uh, yeah, so with, with that one, I actually went over to, to Pencil. So a lot of the, the work in there is instead of like strong ink lines, it's like pencil and then paint on top, which does kind of make it into a more dreamy sort of thing. Um, and I think I also, um, I also kind of kept it more in like a sepia yep. uh, tone. So again, yeah, it does, it does feel a little bit more, I don't want to say it feels a bit more Victorian, but you you know what I mean. It's like it does um, so that when the when the colours actually come in, it does make them pop a little bit more. Um, but and, yeah, if, I'm, if co- I'm going to be honest, sorry, go on. No, no, please go on. Yeah, so I was going to just say that now when I'm looking back at this, this is just me being um, this is me being me now. Uh, but like uh, looking back and looking at the the pencils. I I do wish that I had gone a little bit harder on on the colors with that because it's a uh, I I do like the fact that the pencil work does give it like a completely different vibe but I do want I would I I would want it to be a little bit stronger in the colors now when I'm looking back at it I'm just I'm creating my own work live yeah, well well don't, don't don't forget as I mean as you've got the book there if you look through yeah. as the story's being told the 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 the, the colors starts to turn up and the mm-hmm. lines start to get a little bit more stronger and the yeah. way we worked that out is as the automaton was gradually learning about the world the style gradually changed alongside it and a lot of people have kind of understood that particular aspect and they believe it does work yeah yeah and also in a way i also felt like because going back to like the fact that um you guys kind of just allowed me to just sort of do my thing in a way so with this I feel like again being quite new um I think this was in 2013 or 2014 oh I'm not sure now 2014 <laughs> yeah. maybe uh something like that uh yeah so I feel like I really wanted to uh, experiment with uh, trying like softer pencil lines as well and uh, we just kind of went for it didn't we mm. um so yeah i i do i do really enjoy that and i can see what you mean now that i'm, I'm flicking through it as well like it's the yeah the colors kind of slowly coming in yeah and um yeah it, it does give it a different vibe and you'd you'd expect like if it is the the tiktok um the tiktok story that it would be sharper lines because it's you know supposedly not because it's about the automaton but I've kind of went the opposite direction. I just went, now nah, we're going to go soft now. <laughs> and it works. It works. It works yeah. beautifully. And the, so the, as the story's being told, the automaton starts asking things about life and death and, and its position in the world. And as mm. that gradually starts to unfold, then you have spots of colour. I remember having a very long conversation uh, with you about um, Irvin's bow tie, which is red. And that, yes. is the, that is the most striking colour in the whole of that series. Yeah. Yeah, well, I definitely, because it, um, we were talking about how the automatons are supposed, they're supposed to only really wear black. Indeed. Or like they're supposed to just like, you know, stay in their lane, essentially. Absolutely. Um, and the fact that he is wearing red is showing that like, 
maybe a little bit of a rebellious streak, mm. but also it's just like it's kind of showing that maybe there is something happening here. There's something evolving here. Absolutely. So having that little, like he is mainly in black still mm. uh, in the IPA one. Yeah. Um, he has got like some other textures in it. So he's got some um, some stripes and stuff. Yep. It's kind of grayish black. Yeah, but it's still just black and gray. And then you have that one thing, that's the color. So, yeah, I do, now that I'm looking back at it, yeah, I do really quite enjoy that. But it's just like, nah, I'm, I'm going to start showing a little bit of spice here. <laughs> perfect, perfect. And it, it worked beautifully. And when you, when you start things associated with various characters, uh, I remember um, the opening few pages of uh, Breakaway, which was book two in the series. That starts yeah. very, very dark, wood-panelled rooms, dark and brown and very almost gothic in its, in its own, own way. And then there are, there's a beautiful transition within, within the story as it turns, as it turns where Janav um, goes to his mum's um, uh, cemetery, where his mum's buried. Yeah, and that's, that's the cemetery that we went to. That's the cemetery, we? and what people don't know is a lot of. I think I may have mentioned this when I spoke to Corey. A lot of the background of clockwork, the the buildings in the background, and everything, majority of them still do exist, apart from Crystal Palace. Mm. Yeah, I can't remember what was that cemetery called. I think it's Nunhead Cemetery that we went to. Still, yeah, there. that was it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's kind of it's. It's really, really beautiful, but like in a sort of spooky kind of way, I find. Yes. Um, but yeah, I love the I love the way that we we actually, I actually got to go to a real location. I think I took a lot of photos as well while I was there. Yes, you did. Um, yeah, and just had a look around and just get a feel for the place, and then um, I got back and started like actually sketching out everything. I mean, um, I mean I'm I'm looking at it now, and it's just I still this one panel actually on the top. Mm. Where you've got um, like a praying um, angel. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I love that one. I think that's my favorite panel of like the whole the whole section. <laughs> <laughs> and and you also you also sketched the Hunterian Museum, which we positioned as the Department for Advancement of Sciences. That big building with the lines and stuff that looks just breathtaking. Oh yeah, yeah. And Didn't then, we go there um, and we saw all these these diagrams? Yeah. Oh my god! You, but, I mean, if anyone is ever in London, you need to just go and experience all these things because, <laughs> like, they they do exist. It's yeah. I'm looking at that page right now. This yeah, this is quite a trip down memory lane, isn't it? Um, there was another bit. There was another bit as well, and I can't remember what it's called, but it was a smaller. Um, there was another museum next to the Hunterian yes. that I also went to. Yes, that was um, the John Soames Museum. Thank you. That was it. I, I actually bought one of their books in there. Um, and I love the way they had been like collecting stuff and I could sort of take, I'm not sure if I was allowed to take pictures in there. I can't remember. <laughs> but like it was, I think that's probably why I bought the book, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, in, in there as well, just getting a feel for all of that and just lots of trinkets. Because that's just one thing I love about um, making like clockwork watch as well was just all of all of the little details and the little objects and things like that. Because I've personally always been sort of obsessed with little little details and objects and like small scenes. 
And uh, yeah, but just being allowed to do all of that uh, in amongst, obviously, the big epicness was, uh, yeah, it was quite something. The, 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 I say you brought a lot of this stuff to life. And one of the things, we, I mean, there were huge ambitions when we started working on, on this project. And one of the things I hoped we'd be able to do, and may still be able to, is mm. for every single background that we have that still does exist, and some that don't, I want to use augmented reality to actually show the real history of these locations. So even though the books oh. still do exist now, uh, 10, 11 years on, with the right sort of technology, you can hold hold your phone up in front of one of these buildings or in front of one of the panels, rather, and it will tell you the real history. And that was why a lot of the story was written with real-life backgrounds. Oh, that would be so amazing. That's kind of part of the, the whole sort of transmedia aspect of it, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. That was one of my transmedia goals, definitely. Yeah. Because uh, I know that when um, when people have sort of been asking me at comic con tables, like, like what is Clockwork Watch? And I used to say, oh, it's, uh, it's like a big sort of trans- steampunk transmedia project. And a lot of people, at least back then, didn't know what transmedia was. So I would tend to just say, like, oh, it's a big steampunk universe with lots of stories and intrigues within it, were told through different mediums, mm. like comics and live events. But I guess you could add in augmented reality into that. Absolutely. you know, why not? Like, Absolutely. especially if, the, if you can also essentially teach people about some of the, the real history behind some of the, the locations and things. Absolutely. With that. And, and the, other, the other part that people don't quite get, and I'm to a certain degree glad it's not... Uh, it it's not well known as such and it leaves the opportunity for someone else to step in and maybe take it on as an imprint of for for whatever reason is the story in itself does reflect things like the abolition of slave trade the abolition, i mean women's suffrage and women's suffragettes the civil rights mm-hmm. movement and all of these things once you scratch below the surface you start to realize why are these people only allowed to dress in black why do women yeah. have to do, you know, and all of these things are, are all jumbled together, but they're all heaped onto the automaton and the rest of the world is slightly oblivious to the hardship and the harshness and, and the horrible world that they exist in, you know, and that yeah. is one of the key things. And the beauty of the colour and the illustration in itself gives people the opportunity to either explore that or just take it as a standalone story. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons why steampunk works so well with that um, is the fact that, like, steampunk as a thing, at least uh, top of watch as a thing, is more like um, a lot of different cultures coming together, and it's more it's more of like an optimistic view of certain things. If you if you disregard the automaton part of it, and obviously all of that, but like there is more of like um, actually exploring different cultures. In, um, in Clockwork Watch but it doesn't mean that it's all like rosy and stuff of course not but like it does it does allow you to see steampunk but in different ways so it's not just the what would you call it the colonial sort of dude one <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so, yeah. And we, we and we've when you come to the live events that becomes evident because some events we've had Asian steampunk, we've had Arabic steampunk, we've had African steampunk, different people with their own unique take on what steampunk is within that story world, which 
truth be told, it's emerging and evolving on a second-by-second second basis. People have their own ideas of what steampunk is. I, I'd like to see Icelandic or Scandinavian kind of steampunk because those worlds still di- did exist within the, yeah. the this warped reality that we are all kind of referring to. Well, yeah, you can literally take this and sort of dive into different cultures and different different things and just kind of explore it and and really just play with it, I think, and just try to... Um, I mean, I really had a lot of fun with the whole... For me, it was a lot of the time to do with the um, general sort of aesthetics and the uh, the fashion and the clothing and things like that that I, I loved. And because, like, I... Um, in case it wasn't quite obvious, I'm obviously not uh, British, so I came to the UK, so I'm already like not used to the UK. So it was kind of interesting for me as well to be able to go around the UK and see all of these things and like put that in. And yeah, just having like different perspectives and uh, being able to put that into to Clockwork Watch, I think is like just incredible, really. Um, but yeah. And, and and then the story morphs, so to speak. Yeah, when exactly. When we, we, we introduce we introduce Heracles into the mix, who is who 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 comes from um, another part of the world, even though he's the same person, comes from another part <laughs> of the world. I'm not going to give too much away on this, but <laughs> but you did amazingly well by illustrating the that particular journey. That you did in, um, I think it was in TikTok too, uh, the journey around the world, which in this instance takes into account um, uh, slaves in Africa, takes into account um, the scholars and the mystics of the, the 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 Middle East and the Far East, takes into account the Buddhas in Afghanistan that were blown up by ISIS, takes into account um, the pyramids and the Sphinx in Egypt. And you did those as a as a beautiful, nice sequence, which actually tells a big chunk of real life history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I actually haven't got uh, those books in front of me, but like, yeah, yeah I, I do. Re- yeah, I do remember. I'm just because there's so many, and I I thought I grabbed all of them, but clearly I didn't. <laughs> well, don't forget, um, we, we said we were only going to do three books initially. Yeah, that's the thing, and then it just like kept going. I was like, oh my god. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it was just, it was amazing to um, to get to like try all of these, all of these different things. And my main thing, like again, looking back at it, because this was what eight eight years ago at this point. Eight, nine I'm not years entirely ago. sure. Yeah, I I just hope that um, uh, I've at least with my with my artwork that I've done it justice because uh, oh yes. I do tend to be quite self-critical especially with all of this stuff um so i do hope that it's it's you know i've done it justice with the with my art and that people um enjoyed it um but the the fact that you've had some people actually cosplaying some of my stuff is kind of kind of incredible well, well yeah well, there were certain things yeah Je- jenny Sorry. jenny we we won we won an, we won an award oh yeah <laughs> 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 You know, that's it. That yeah, should say I, it all. Yeah, that's it's it's just uh, unbelievable. Um, yeah, and we were 
we were at the um, at Thor Bubble as well. Yeah. Uh, this was, I mean, now I'm going back to 2012 again, but I'm not sure if you remember, but we were, I think we were on a panel. Yes, we were. Uh, um, and I think they had, uh, I think they had my art up on like this big projector. Mm-hmm. And I and I do feel I, at that point, uh, I, there is a, one photo of me and Corey sitting on a, on a sofa during the, the panel and um, I think we look kind of calm, but internally I was just like, what is happening? <laughs> How, like, what is going on? Um, and I was like, I was freaking out, but I was also like very, just very thankful and uh, excited by the whole thing. I mean, we, did but... our, we did our panel, we did our, I mean, we did our panels together. We, no, we did our <laughs> conventions together rather, which was a first for me. Yeah, so um, was 2012 the first uh, thought bubble that, uh, yeah. that you were part I think that of? Was, I think that was our first one together because we didn't know anything yeah. from Adam. I'd never been to Leeds before. It's we, I can remember us just bimbling around aimlessly. Uh, and then we, oh, and then this, we... Is, oh, <laughs> this is where you've got something to answer for, okay? I'm sorry to sidetrack you for a moment. But we were, we were ambling about Leeds, okay? It was in the middle of the day. And suddenly, you hear blues music yes. in the air somewhere. And I don't know what, you were just like, hmm, we must follow this music. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> okay, let's go. And um, this music leads us to a bar called Smokestack. Um, and uh, I have never been inside that place until that point. I didn't know it existed because it's like up the stairs behind some other places Absolutely. and it was quite but the only way that we would have found it was because you could hear the music coming out from i guess the window yep um and then you went in and and like it was the middle of the day so there was almost nobody there and then you saw an absinthe fountain yep and you were like oh can we have some absinthe but you said it in your way <laughs> absinthe and i'm just there like what um, I've never tried absinthe at that point. Um, I tried it, uh, loved it, <laughs> and you have now basically ruined me. Uh, I don't know if I included absinthe in uh, Clockwork Watch. I think we've I got might some. have done it. <laughs> I think I subtly put it. I might have subtly put it in the background. But I now have had it like in other stories as well, because literally, I know it's really bad. But like the whole theatrics around making absinthe uh, the traditional way with the fountain is just so beautiful. And yeah, when you just sat there and you were like, try this. And I was just like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) So basically, yes, you you have ruined me, uh, Jan. That that was beautiful. That was really good because I think we went back there again. (laughs) Oh, yeah. After that, several times, like I think... But until um, Thor Bubble became too big and moved out of Leeds, yeah. we would go there instead of going to like the the main party. Yeah. Um, I would even go there like in just with a small group of people, um, and we would just go there and hang out. <laughs> and like the only reason we knew that existed was because you could smell some blues in the air, is and you st- just wanted to go there. Is it still there? I don't know. I really hope so. Yeah, just, the, the I, pandemic has kind of killed off a lot of bars. Really? Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, because it was, I mean, our circle was very small. 
you know, it was very small. It was very very small. We had there was a there was a place that did just up the road that did um, barbecue and then meat liquor. Yeah. Me- <laughs> <laughs> Don't even start with the with with the fried chicken before I went vegan. Oh my god! Oh my god. It was well. It was. I mean, conventions were a bit of a jamboree. You remember when we had our little booth? Uh, we had our booth and we had our pool table. And we and because uh, I used to DJ uh, to meet Mission yes. in London, then we got this huge discount. <laughs> Yeah, so you just went to DJ, didn't you? Yeah, I, did. I went to yeah. DJ. Yeah, like, what the hell? <laughs> so that that just like that just happened. Yeah, but yeah, there was some there was some interesting things um, in Smokestack as well that happened. I'm not sure if you were there, but where one person came up. This is in the in the middle of the convention, so yeah. like mid con party kind of thing. But we'd kind of taken a few people aside. Uh, so it was a Saturday night, I think, and literally one person. Um, just came up to one of my comic book making friends and slid up to him and just was like I'll shank you for your girlfriend and <laughs> the, uh, I know and uh, so it was a bit of a, a little bit of a rough place and my friend was just like ah, no no thank you oh my God. this is also the same place do you see what you've done this is the same place where um, I went to the toilet very quickly I came out and literally there were like three women who were fawning over my then boyfriend and I don't mind. So I just came in, I was like, hello. And I started talking to them, but I think I was in full convention gear, which um, at that point was clockwork watch gear. So I had the full like uh, sort of sari inspired outfit with feathers and like cogs and just stuff hanging off my face. And I'm coming out there and I think I had like face jewelry on and face paint. And I'm just coming out going, hello, everyone, how are you doing? <laughs> Obviously, they were a bit high on life. And they were um, suitably, like, scared off <laughs> because they might have thought that I, I was just like, don't you touch my man. <laughs> but, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that, that entire thing, I just want to blame you for that oh, while, no, while I've great. got you. It was great. It, it was, was great. great. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful times. I mean, we've been trying over the years, we tried to get, get you. And I know it's just because of work, work commitments and stuff trying to get you to come out to to san diego where you would see another side of the insanity uh that's that's that we've experienced and shared together in in the uk uh uh, but it just hasn't aligned and this year we're going to try to do something a little bit different Corey and i uh with with uh we're gonna we're hoping to try for to try for a panel really on just clock wow at, at at san diego at san diego yeah we're gonna try for that holy okay and mainly i really hope you get it mainly because we are the only two as far as i know only two um black indie comic creators from the uk who have done san diego comic-con for 10 consecutive years that is an amazing feat and it's own like in its own right and i'm guessing you like you've got a lot of like regulars as well coming up well and stuff like that your books are selling beautifully well oh excellent <laughs> <laughs> yeah like one of the reasons why uh i i i look at san diego and i go that's an incredible convention but i i, I i'm not sure i could personally be there because it's because uh, i have like anxiety and stuff and crowd and um, crowd scare me 
And I've seen some photos of San Diego and how big the crowds are. Uh, and I've heard that there's like how many thousands of people are there? I think they probably have about 180,000 a day. That's crazy. But, but they're not and in I... our area. <laughs> they, they, That's they, so crazy. They breeze through. And what happens is everyone kind of goes for the exclusives first. So up till about mm. midday, the small press area is relatively, you know, quiet. And then they turn around and then people start wafting in to kind of check out the small, the, the small press re- zone. And then you have people from various walks of life. You have librarians coming in. You have people coming in from Hollywood. You have people from publishing houses who more often than not want to buy the books but also want to hear a little bit about your story. And the first few years that we were going, that we were there, were kind of traumatic to a certain degree because the first year... Turns out people just walked past us. Yeah. Then the second year, some of them stopped and said, hey, we saw you here last year. I said, yes. Well, we didn't stop mainly because we thought, well, if we buy this book, are we ever going to see them again? Huh. You know, and that is how okay. the relationships... And now people just come and say, hey, you guys are back again. It's not nice to see you. Yeah. You know, I've, um, I've heard that... I don't know if this is true. But I've heard that in general, it takes people about two or three times to like they have to see someone or something for two or three times before they actually trust it. Mm. So there might have been the fact that they because you were so new um, that they were just like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what this is. And they just kind of like, I guess, disregarded you at that point. But um, after 10 years. <laughs> I'm going to assume that a lot of people at this point are just like, oh, yeah, we know them. They, they do come in and we, we won and, and we were awarded uh, a steampunk um, um, Starship Courier Service um, medal uh, a few wow. years ago, which, which was really, really, really good for, for taking, creating a book and sharing it on a global scale. That's which amazing. is absolutely always breathtaking. And a lot yeah. of people now come along and the aisle that we have, we've been there with some of the people... And now we go out for drinks with a bit like you do at conventions over here, but mm-hmm. it's then it's their hometown, or or the majority of them come from so many different parts of 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 the world that you're all now an international crew just bimbling around saying, "Hey, should we eat here or should we go there?" Or you know, and then sometimes um, with Jimmy, who you know, Jimmy Aquino from New York. I love Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Jimmy will phone up at about one o'clock in the morning and just say, "Hey, where are you guys? Well, we're in bed." Like. Uh, no, you need to get dressed and you need to come out to this party now. <laughs> he's like, really? He's like, God's sake, Jimmy. I, I know. Like, I wouldn't be calling you if it wasn't important, so get ready, get your Uber. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then you're out, you're out till about 5.30 in the morning knowing that you've got to be back at the convention at 9. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you know, so it's, 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 it's an amazing thing and I, I sincerely do hope that you can give it a, give it a thought because... Your work sells, and I think one of one of the best sellers for us. I, I don't think there's ever been anyone who's come in and bought the first sort of chapter, the first volume of of our omnibus volume, and not come back mm-hmm. to pick up the others. So That's your work amazing. is your work is still is still doing beautifully, beautifully well up there, and you've actually helped transition us to what we call the penultimate stage of of the story, which is um, sins. 
of uh, my father. You took a break over another part of the narrative, which which yeah. was evolution. But you've cut, you came back and you've done two copies of or two titles um, of yeah. uh, Sins of My Father, which, as it happens, is the story that I originally wrote. This was the story that I wanted to tell of a man who falls mm. in love with a woman and the woman's an automaton in a world where this love is forbidden. And it has taken us, it took us about eight years to actually get to up to that point. And you have more or less constructed most of those eight years. My God. Yeah, like when, you, when you're thinking about like, I, it, it's been so much. And when you were saying as well that just getting that um, funded um, is, it's been it's been quite something because I think uh, Corey and you were talking about the whole the whole thing of trying to get stuff funded in comics is so hard. Um, so like trying to actually be seen and everything, which is probably why San Diego is such a good good shout, really. But like trying to be seen and trying to actually get the money to do all of these things is so difficult because. Um, if you're looking at like comic book pages, I think a lot of people, again, I'm probably biased because I make the stuff, but I think a lot of people don't quite realize how much effort goes into making the comics themselves um, and like how much time goes into this as well. And it's always a crunch because there's always so much to do. Um, and on my end, like doing them traditionally as well adds in a bit of extra time which is obviously not for everyone because it's like um, I have to make sure that whenever I do something that they, the people who, who work with me, that they're aware that the way I do things is a bit different. So like um, having, having the money to do that is the, it takes a lot of trust from other people. And uh, yeah, the, just the fact that like we managed to get the first book funded on a crowdfunding website. And then it's just kept going from there. is um, It's an amazing feat in in, in itself. I yeah. mean, I heard from the other from the other podcaster uh, how how you got some of that money, and oh my god, Jon, no. <laughs> I, I know. It's it's been hard. It has been hard. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. I I live in fear of of doing another another crowdfund. Uh, I mean, you 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 you've you've done beautifully well. I mean, just to say, anyone listening to this, Jenny is a queen of crowdfunding. She, she crowdfunds all of her stuff. It's beautiful, and she's got an amazing following. And you're the queen queen of that. And I'm glad that we actually ha- started that journey together. But but you you saying you're a bit shy. You've taken that on, but you've taken that bull by the horns, and you've ridden it beautifully. Whereas I kind of think there's only so much I can ask people for. And also the fact is, you're an artist. And many a time you're at these conventions and these people walk up. I was going to say these crazy people, but they're not crazy. Well, they're probably crazy. Anyway, anyway, they walk up and they say, oh, wow, I love this. The illustrations are great. They say, so are you the artist? They say, no, we're the writer. And they just put the book down and walk away. Oh, God. <laughs> See, this, this is one of the things that tends to be like of a little bit of like a thing in, in comics is that uh, for artists, it. Um, it is going to be, it is a bit easier because you can literally put um, a comic page in front of a person and within a fraction of a second, they'll have an opinion because they've just seen it and they, they, they know roughly what it is about. With, with a writer and with a comic book writer, like 
you have to put a script in front of them oh. and like they're gonna have to take the time to read that or you're gonna have to do like uh, an elevator pitch at them or something it is a lot harder on that front so when you're doing um, crowdfunding which uh, yeah, after like graduating and uh, doing the Clockwork Watch stuff, I also started doing other things because I was like, let's try doing this comic stuff for real now. And I did find that um, the main thing for me to be able to do comics was to crowdfund it because I am self-published still. Um, I don't have a publisher. And like actually being able to, to do all of this relies for me on crowdfunding. And um, because I am an artist, uh, I can show people immediately like look this is my vibe do you like it and if you don't like it that's totally cool um, whereas yeah for writers it is a little bit more difficult because you I feel like if you're going to be in comics you kind of do have to then um, kind of commission an artist to at least get you some sample pages yep yep so that you can shoot you can you can show people roughly what they're going to get um, but um, with Clockwork Watch honestly the fact that I've been sitting here trying to find all of the books of me that you've got more than just some sample pages. <laughs> um, so if you in the future, if you're gonna crowdfund, like we can have a chat about that uh, because like it's I think that you would do pretty well um, oh, fingers, on it. Fingers crossed. And and you you mentioned you mentioned you know your work. You've got multiple titles that you you juggle. Uh, and they're yeah. doing all beautifully well. And anyone who's seen Jenny's table at a convention or you visit her website, you'll be able to see a plethora of styles, designs, genres, all mm. together done stylishly. And not the, the sort of thing where every single style is the same. They are all unique and in their, in their, in their, in their genre, in their taste, in their look and their feel and their stories. Well, thank you. Like, I do feel like I'm, I'm, const I'm still kind of, I do feel like I'm floundering a lot of the time still, but I'm not sure if that, that feeling will ever go away. But oh. I feel like the fact that people have like given me a chance in the beginning um, and then uh, allowed me to find my, find my feet. Cause I feel like in the beginning when I first graduated and um, you guys kind of went, uh, and I could, maybe it's because we were all very new, but like we were all kind of going, let's just see what happens kind of thing. Let's just try this thing. That I think that allowed me, looking back, to like uh, find myself because I didn't actually. I tried, uh, fun fact, to get some jobs in like Marvel and stuff, but um, that never happened. <laughs> so I was just like, ah, screw it. I'm just gonna do self-published, and I think that was one of the best decisions I made because you can just kind of do your thing. Absolutely. Um, and and yeah. to give you give you a brief example, Corey and I were at Comic Con in San Diego one year, and we went to the Black um, creators, the uh, black writers, uh, um, talk. It was a, p a panel, and you had about four people up there who were. I mean, they'd worked on Marvel and DC. You know, not household names, but in the comic book world, heavyweights. Uh, they were all black or Asian, and they were all talking about having a problem developing their own titles and the fact that they were all being pigeonholed into well you're black so you write black stories you're asian you write asian stories and Corey and i sat there and we said hold on we're two black kids from the uk our story is about a sikh family neither of us are indian neither of us are sikh in fact 
neither of us are Victorian. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and we're self-published. And we wondered, what is stopping you? You guys have got, you've got thousands of followers on so many different channels. It doesn't take much to crowdfund and just do your own thing. And they all sat up there and all talking about how hard it was. And mm. we've, we've broken that. We've broken the back on that. And that is one of the things yeah. why I think small conventions, indie comic conventions, are there to give other people, other creators or potential creators, uh, people who are hoping and have hopes and dreams, give them the license to go out and do it. And you're a shining example of that. If you jumped well, into bed with Marvel, what the hell do you think you'd be doing now? You'd never be, I, I doubt you'd be <laughs> fulfilled as you are. I have no idea. They didn't let me in. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I think the fact that um, we were doing stuff in, in the indie scene and of, of course, like it, it's, it is hard. It, it is really hard and, and money is very difficult and uncertain at all times. But like you're allowed to do pretty much like any story that you want. Um, and I think that like um, just being allowed that freedom to just experiment is so important so like me doing first of all doing this with you guys but then I was also doing um some anthologies so I did a professor elemental uh, anthology as well back in 2013 uh, and then being able to experiment and do slightly longer stories but not like big stories but I, I did my own stuff for a little bit like short stories and I've done some little horror comics like lots of little things that I can then put out and just uh, see what people like. Um, and uh, obviously I've noticed that everyone wants the smut. So that's my main, my main thing now. Um, but like if I didn't have the indie scene and if I wasn't self-published, I'm not sure I would really, um, it's going to sound dramatic, but I don't, I don't know if I would have like my own voice yeah. at all. Cause I, I, I feel like we did kind of fall into this and I feel like we have been paddling along and sometimes it's been rocky and uh, difficult, but I feel like through that it has been uh, character building because mm. uh, it, you know, it, it has been quite hard, but at, at the same time, I wouldn't change this for like anything because um, it has really, I think it's taught all of us a lot of stuff about uh, the indie scene and doing comics and stuff like that. And I hope that in the future, people might look at some of maybe our comics or other comics like ours or whatever, and kind of go, ah, maybe I should try something like that. Just uh, give it a shot. And it doesn't even have it to just be a comic book. You can do augmented reality and stuff. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. No, yeah. absolutely. Jenny, thank you immensely for, for coming on to Clockwork Chronicles podcast. Um, I hope as the story is told and unfolds, we'll be able to get you back on to have a chat and hopefully it'll be a, a three header, get Corey in and we can reminisce a little bit about some of the crazier oh, things that. that have happened over over the years. And we you missed our beautiful show at the British Library um, last year, yeah. which was just insane. We we had more people than we could could have possibly imagined and it was one of the most successful shows at the library. And Jenny, thank you so much. Um, if people need to check out your stuff, how do we find it? Well, you go to my website. So um, it's my name. So I'll, I'll say jennyyulblad.com and I'll spell it. 
So it's Jenny with an I-E and Yulblad is G-Y-L-L-B-L-A-D. I've had to learn how to spell this out for everyone because <laughs> I'm, I'm a silly Swede. But oh. thank you so much for having me on. It's been amazing. Absolutely. And and listeners, thanks for, for, for being with us. Uh, this is the Clockwork Chronicles. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to check out the story online, it's clockworkwatch.com for the story as it unfolds and clockworkwatch.org for the production blog. Until episode five, thank you very much. Goodbye.